Welcome to The Crunchy Club, where we talk about all things holistic wellness, alternative treatments, medical freedom, low-tox lifestyles, and natural remedies. But most importantly, I hope to empower you to be your own best doctor and health advocate. I'm your host, Haley Manis, a certified clinical herbalist and health coach. I have healed from Lyme disease, mold, and parasites that went undiagnosed for over 15 years by Western medicine. I am the founder of Roots and Leaves, an herbal remedies company, and The Crunchy Club, an online wellness membership off of censored social media platforms. Welcome to the club. Welcome to episode two of The Crunchy Club podcast. This was recorded in our uncensored private community off of social media platforms, The Crunchy Club. It is most of the conversation we had with my members, but not all of it. At the end of every live guest expert discussion, my members have a chance to Q&A with the speaker. To keep their questions and identities anonymous, I have excluded that from this recording. If you want to be in on the next live, you can join the silver or gold membership at thecrunchy.club. Today, we are going to be chatting with Jared St. Clair, the host of Vitality Radio Podcast and owner of Vitality Nutrition. Jared is known for providing the best information to parents searching for answers on how to raise a natural, healthy family. He brings well-researched information so that you can make informed decisions regarding your health. Vitality Radio is not just about health. It is about health freedom. Through thorough research, 35 years of experience, and a hearty dose of wit and sarcasm, Jared provides needed insight into the current threats to your health as well as the threats coming from government agencies, pharmaceutical companies, and modern medicine as a whole. Vitality Radio has been running for 14 years in Salt Lake City, Utah, and now the same high-energy, entertaining education is a podcast for everyone. Be sure to go give his podcast a follow. Today, Jared and I will be discussing the gut microbiome and how it can affect literally everything in our bodies from mental health to skin issues and the most well-researched strains of probiotics. Jared, welcome to the Crunchy Club. Welcoming me into the Crunchy Club. I'm really excited to be here. Maybe the biggest challenge with doing these types of um, talks or webinars or whatever you want to call it is not quite knowing what the knowledge base is of the people that I'm talking to, but I anticipate people in the Crunchy Club probably know a little bit more than most when it comes to health and nutrition and alternative means to taking care of yourself and your family. So I'm not going to go too... um, I'm going to try and keep it a little above basic uh, on a lot of the stuff that I talk about, uh, but uh, I welcome uh, questions uh, throughout the... uh, conversation, or uh, we can do a lot of questions and answers at the end as well. So let me, oh, and also whoever it was that said they were just in Salt Lake, um, sorry we missed you. When you come back, come say hi. All right. So anyway, let's get going here. The microbiome, um, just real basics. It's all of the non-human stuff that is in and on our bodies. Uh, We have In our gut alone, uh, a healthy gut should have about 100 trillion uh, different uh, uh, bugs, not different bugs, sorry, bugs generally. Uh, Well over a thousand of those are going to be different types of species. Uh, But we also have uh, the microbiome is also on our skin. It's in our sinuses. Uh, There are uh, it's in our mouth. Uh, There's all kinds of different places where we do hold these types of bacteria and other things that are, again, not human but living uh, with us, in us, and on us. So that's what the microbiome is. 
there's a couple of things that a lot of people don't know about the microbiome is that uh, it is the fully formed adult microbiome uh, is developed by about the time we're three and a half or four years old. So it's not something that really continues to develop after that unless we do things to develop it, uh, such as probiotic therapies and fermented foods and some of these types of things. And so what happens in the first four years of life is a big deal. If we are, uh, if we are born uh, vaginally as opposed to cesarean section, that is a really big deal because we get the bulk of our microbiome as we're passing through the birth canal. And then if we're breastfed for at least, uh, depending on who you ask, somewhere between 10 and 15 months seems to be kind of an optimal uh, time frame for breastfeeding to give uh, children the best boost to their microbiome that they can have. So those are kind of the two big builders of the microbiome. Myself, I was um, born cesarean section, so I didn't have that, but I was breastfed for two and a half years because my mom was frankly kind of crunchy. So hopefully she made up for some of that. Uh, and then she really made up for it by never giving me an antibiotic. And that brings me to kind of part two, you know, what can we do to beat up our microbiome, especially in childhood. And of course, number one would be antibiotics for ear infections and strep throat and those types of things. Now, what is really, really interesting to me and was new news uh, not too long ago, I think this was discovered in the late um, or, or I, around 2008, 2009, 2010, somewhere in that range, uh, they started doing studies trying to figure out, okay, so just how harmful are antibiotics to uh, the microbiome. And what they determined was that amoxicillin, which is, everybody's heard of it, most people have been on it at least once. Amoxicillin is a kind of run-of-the-mill antibiotic, right? It's not one of the big, super strong ones. And what they've shown is that in just 10 days on amoxicillin, you can wipe out about half of your microbiome in your gut. 50% depletion in 10 days is no small thing. Now, these are living, breathing organisms. They do grow back. But what they determined in the studies that I thought was really fascinating and frankly, a little bit scary uh, and, and much needed information so that we recognize how critical this is, is that as the microbiome is growing back, we don't tend to ever get all the way back to where we were prior to the antibiotic. And it depends. There's all kinds of variables, the individual, of course, being the biggest variable, but also diet and stress levels and all these types of things. But it appears that we we can fill the cup back up, but we can't fill it all the way back up to full, just living and doing our thing. So without some sort of probiotic therapy, we don't seem to be able to get all the way back to where we once were prior to an antibiotic. With that being said, that means that if you're someone who has had a series of antibiotics, let's say, for instance, as a child, you've had ear infections. And so you had an antibiotic for an ear infection, and then six months later, you had another antibiotic for another infection, and six months later, another one, and so on, which unfortunately is a really, really common story, especially in America. Well, then imagine that kind of gradual depletion of the microbiome that takes us down dramatically from where we were. And there's two parts to that. I mentioned the hundred trillion, and I also mentioned the number of species. But one of the things that's been discovered um, since about 2007, and they continue to dig into this, and it's a 
really big deal is that the diversity of the microbiome matters a whole lot. So it's not just how many of the bugs are in there, but it's also what type of bugs are in there. And if you want to talk about diversity, one of my most favorite things to share with people on the diversity of the microbiome is this. If you have two identical twins, they're genetically the same, right? As far as their human genetics, um, their microbiome is only about 50% the same on average when they come out of their mother. Now that's kind of crazy when you consider they're coming through the same birth canal, that they have the same environment, the same pretty much everything, including the same genetics. But if you've met identical twins, they look the same, but they don't behave the same. They have different personalities. They make different friends. They do different things in life. And the reason for that, many researchers believe, and I do as well, is because the microbiome plays a major role in mental health and in your personality itself. Because there's no other reason why identical twins genetically should be so very different uh, from a personality standpoint, things like that. So that would then mean that diversity in the microbiome makes a lot of difference to a lot of different things. And keeping in mind that while there's over 1000 different species, in fact, these are estimates and nobody really knows yet as far as I've been able to determine, but it's somewhere over a thousand different species and it could be as many as four or 5,000 different species that could potentially be down there. And it's so much of a move, moving target because, you know, Haley's microbiome is different than mine and my brother's is different than mine and, you know, all these different things that trying to figure out what is, you know, normal, you know, we'll never figure that out, I don't think. But what we do know is that that diversity matters a ton. So what that What's interesting is it's not like if you wipe out, say, half the microbiome and not only do you go from 100 trillion down to 50 trillion in there, but also you've probably wiped out some species. Some things have become technically extinct, I guess you could say, inside your body. Now, those species are still out there. Um, the person who didn't get uh, hit with those uh, antibiotics is still going to have some of those species and uh, you can potentially get those back. But what is interesting is that each one of those species, it appears, has a lot of redundancy, meaning they do a lot of the same things, but also a lot of uniqueness where they do very unique things that are uh, somewhat unique to them or unique to them and maybe another uh, small group of, of species that could be in the gut. So protecting what's already there is a really, really big deal. So I want to talk a little bit about protecting them. And then I also want to talk about, well, okay, so what if you didn't protect them? What if, if you were one of those people who's been on a string of antibiotics or has not been eating crunchy your whole life and has been eating a lot of, uh, you know, foods sprayed with glyphosate and, uh, and, and uh, factory farmed animals that are fed tons of antibiotics and things like that? Well, that would make you typical of Americans, right? We, it's a real problem here. And, and most of us have been through a lot of that type of, I'll say, microbiome abuse uh, throughout our lives. So first off, well, actually, before I, I, this is where I love to, my little ADD kind of brain goes all over the place. So let me stick to my, my notes just a second and, and not forget a couple of really critical things. I think that most people, when they hear microbiome or they hear probiotics, they think of the gut, which makes all kinds of sense. That's where the biggest stash of these guys live. 
And so then you think of gut health issues, everything from basic stuff like gassiness and bloating and acid reflux and uh, indigestion, heartburn and so on and so forth. IBS, uh, maybe more severe things like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis uh, might come to mind. But that's really just the kind of ground zero is what's happening in the gut, because what happens in the gut, as you probably already know, impacts what happens everywhere else inside the body. And one of the places that I want to really focus today, uh, because I could talk about this topic, I'm such a geek when it comes to this stuff. I could talk about this for like 20 hours straight. So I'm going to focus a lot on mental health and how the microbiome impacts your mental health. Not everybody thinks of that one. And I hope that uh, a lot of what I share with you is, is pretty unique uh, and, and informative. Maybe some things that you haven't heard before. So maybe you've heard of the vagus nerve. Uh, the vagus nerve is the biggest uh, uh, super highway in the body in terms of uh, neurotransmitters and things like that. It connects the gut and the brain. Many researchers call the gut the second brain. Some researchers are saying we probably should refer to it as the first brain. And that's kind of confusing because we know where the first brain is, right? It's up here. And now they're saying, well, maybe your brain is actually down there. And of course, if anybody's ever told you your head is, well, anyway, we'll get away from that. But the point is with the brain and the second brain and the first brain, it's a really interesting thing because the reason researchers are now starting to use that type of terminology is that we know now that we have about five times as many brain cells, neurons in our gut as we do in our brain. Now think about that for just a minute. Five times as many neurons in your gut as in your brain, meaning that all of the brain cells that are communicating back and forth with things like dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin and those types of brain chemicals or neurotransmitters, there's five times as much of that activity down south in the gut as there is in the brain. In fact, about 90% of the serotonin that we make is made in the gut, not in the brain. And so when doctors are doing what allopathic medicine is so good at, prescribing drugs to treat symptoms, they are treating a brain condition that may actually be a gut condition, particularly when they're looking at things like SSRIs, uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, things like Prozac and Zoloft and that type of thing. So we cannot forget just how critical the gut is when it comes to the brain and mental health. When I'm at my, I have a brick and mortar health food store that's been in my family for 45 years called Vitality Nutrition. And I started working there when I was seven. So I've been there most of my life. And the interesting thing is when people come in and they say, hey, what do you have for depression? What do you have for anxiety? I'm dealing with um, ADD or ADHD, or I have this OCD problem, or uh, I have a child with autism or whatever it is. The first thing I ask them about is what's going on with your gut? How's your gut health? And let's talk about that first. And oftentimes people look at me like I'm kind of crazy because they're really looking for something for their brain. And we have to have this conversation and make sure that they understand why we're looking at the gut first. So that's, uh, again, a pretty primary area of focus today. But I want to throw in a couple of, of my favorite little tidbits um, before we jump into that much further. Not very many people in America are concerned about their weight, right? Most of us feel like we're right at the ideal weight and exactly where we'd like to be. Um, of course, I'm uh, being sarcastic, but the thing with weight and the microbiome is something that most people also don't think of. 
they have done several studies that have shown that the microbiome, again, completely different really, or not completely different, but dramatically different, even in identical twins, that when they actually give an obese twin the microbiome of the thin twin, um, that obese twin starts to lose weight and vice versa. The obese or the if they give the obese twin the microbiome of the thin twin and they do this through fecal transplant. These are all animal studies up to this point uh, on mice, but they trade microbiomes essentially through fecal transplant. And all of a sudden, the one who was heavier gets thinner and the one who was thinner gets heavier. That's a big deal, right? If you think about what's actually happening there, that would indicate that many of the issues that we deal with, with weight management uh, in, uh, in this world and in America in particular, has to do with the microbiome. Now, there's causation and, and correlation, of course, and trying to figure out what's what, because we don't know if that's the entire picture. We have to assume that some of the picture is McDonald's and things like that, right? But how does McDonald's food impact the microbiome? Or how does your microbiome impact your desire to eat McDonald's food? Those are the things that we're still trying to figure out, but they're important factors. And I can say safely say that if you have a really robust, diverse microbiome, you have a much, much better shot at optimal weight, at optimal uh, mental health, and so on. Um, any questions so far, or should I just keep rambling? We're good? All right. All right, so back to mental health. <clears throat> if you've ever heard of the term psychobiotic, I've seen, I see a few faces here. Anybody ever heard of psychobiotics? Awesome, okay. Well, Haley, you don't count. You're an expert. <laughs> but you do count because of that, actually. So the psychobiotics are very interesting. Um, they're called psychobiotics. They're just probiotics. But they're probiotics that have clinical evidence that they work in the brain, that they work for things like depression, anxiety, things like that. Um, Haley was recently on Vitality Radio, my podcast. And if you are interested in, in uh, what I'm saying and interested in, in uh, the way that I present, like the way I present, that kind of thing, that's a great place to learn more. I've got two episodes that are 100% on psychobiotics, and it's fascinating stuff, and I don't have enough time to get into all of it here. But what we do know now is that not only do we know that the microbiome plays a role in mental health, a major role, and I believe the biggest role of anything that we can look at, but also that there are very specific probiotics that actually change uh, the mental health picture in terms of things, again, like ADD, OCD, depression, anxiety, those types of things. And so if you ever hear that term, you ever read up on, uh, uh, you know, you're reading up on probiotics and they start referring to psychobiotics, that's what they're talking about. And many of the probiotics that may even be in your house right now and in, in your fridge or on your counter uh, could contain some of these strains that have been shown to do that. So there are a couple of things that are really interesting in the correlation of mental health and, and the microbiome. And one of the most fascinating studies I've seen uh, is actually from our uh, good friends at the uh, NIH. I, I, I don't really consider them to be my friend, but they do do some good research. Uh, it's just that most of the research they do is really good. You have to dig for and then the stuff they release is not so good. So they did um, they've done studies and they. This, their studies indicate that 70 to 90% of patients with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, 
who seek medical attention. So these are people with IBS that's bad enough that they're going to their doctor and saying, hey, help me fix this. Um, they have a psychiatric uh, comorbidity, as they call it. So 70 to 90% of people with IBS are also diagnosable with something like chronic anxiety or major depressive disorder. Depression in particular is the very highest rate. People with depression and IBS in many cases go hand in hand. So then the question would be, well, what came first, right? The chicken or the egg? And my answer is almost always, in this case, I guess you could say the egg, what happened in the gut that then impacted the brain? And I've met many, many people over the years that I've helped with this type of thing who say, yeah, you know, by the time I was 10, 11, 12, 13, I was dealing with uh, depression. And then I'll ask them, okay, so tell me about the first few years of your life. What happened with antibiotics? Did you have ear infections? Did you have strep throat? Did you have UTIs? And almost without exception, yes, they had those and they received multiple different antibiotics for those things. And I, I strongly believe that that is the root cause of much of our mental health problems, along with uh, mass media, government, you know, things like that, right? So mental health is a, is a really, really big deal when it comes to the gut. All right. So now let's talk about avoidance, because I think avoidance is a lot about what people that join a group like this are all about. It's like learning, okay, so I have been eating like this. What do I swap out to get off of the stuff that has been making me sick or less healthy uh, to get healthier? And it's an interesting story because one of the things that I think I'm, I'm thrilled to be in this group today because people who sign up for a group like this are obviously proactively looking to take really great care of themselves and their family members. And the best way to do that, of course, is through education. Most of the mistakes that I believe we make with our health, and, and I really strongly believe this, is because we chose at some point, and maybe it was even kind of chosen for us by our parents or whatever else, to take our uh, our right and our freedom to make health choices for ourselves and hand them over to somebody in a white coat and say, you know what, I don't understand this well enough, so you take care of me. Well, in my view, that's a terrible way to try to be healthy because A, that doctor, and I don't care if he's a naturopathic doctor, I don't care if he's the guy at the health food store like me or someone like Haley. If you want to trust somebody else to take care of your health so that you don't have to figure out how to do it, I think you're doing it wrong. We have to get to the point where we really have an understanding as much as we can of how to take care of ourselves instead of passing that off to somebody else. How is a doctor that you spend six or seven minutes with talking about your UTI or your depression or your anxiety or whatever else it is, how is he or she going to really know how to help you in a, in a few minutes when they don't know what your diet looks like. They don't know what your exercise levels look like. They don't know what your supplementation looks like or if you're supplementing and so on and so forth. It's really up to us to understand what we're doing, why we're doing it and how to do it more effectively. And, and I think that's really what, why I decided to do my, my radio show. It's been around for about 15 years and it was a local radio show for the first 12 years before I turned it into a podcast. And what I recognized is that there were just a lot of people with 
a lot of questions. And if I could give them to the best of my ability, a resource that I could answer a lot of those questions and give them some empowering information, then they could be better uh, caretakers of their own health and their family's health. And Haley and I have talked about this. She feels exactly the same way that, that there's real strength in education when it comes to our health. And, and so that's why platforms like this, you know, even exist. So I was lucky. My parents were already pretty crunchy when I was born. And so they never gave me an antibiotic ever. The first antibiotic I ever had was when I was 45 years old for a surgical thing. They wouldn't let me get out of it. And I've got four kids, the oldest one's 25, the youngest one's 10, and none of them have ever had an antibiotic. It's not because we've been exceptionally well. It's because we know what to do if we get sick. And we knew about things like elderberry and echinacea and garlic and lemon and honey and all of these types of things. And keep in mind, too, where we are now in our world is kind of awesome when it comes to natural remedies. We have so much access. When my parents were doing this thing, it was like garlic and lemon and honey. I mean, that, that's what that, we didn't know what elderberries did. We didn't know what echinacea did. There were so many things that we did not know back then. As a guy who grew up in a health food store, it's kind of shocking all the things that I've seen come into the marketplace that I'd never heard of. I remember the first time I ever heard of an elderberry and what it was for. I remember the first time I ever heard of echinacea and what that was for. I remember the first time I, I learned about the correlation between zinc and copper that we didn't really understand before and so on and so on and so on. So we're in a position now with the internet, with groups like this, with, <clears throat> excuse me, podcasts and all these things where there's kind of no excuse anymore to not have the information other than just choosing not to find it. And so I commend everybody here for choosing to find it because it's clear that's why you're in a group like this. So thank you. Um, so the point is, it's not, it's kind of, maybe it's a humble brag that none of my kids have ever had an antibiotic. Uh, I guess I could say that I'm proud of it, but it's not because of anything other than I just knew some stuff that most parents didn't know. And so that's again, what this is all about. So this is let, let me run through a couple of things. We'll talk about avoidance, and then we'll also talk about um, prevention of, of kind of wrecking uh, the microbiome with pharmaceuticals, with antibiotics. And so uh, actually, let's go in the reverse order. First, we'll talk about what you can do or what I've done and had success with to prevent the need for an antibiotic. All right, so colloidal silver. Um, colloidal silver is a really interesting one. Some people have a lot of I would say a lot of people have a lot of questions about it. A lot of people have a lot of concerns about it. And it is a, a somewhat controversial topic. But one of the biggest reasons it's controversial is because the government does their darndest to get people to not say anything about it. Uh, it's just too darn effective, in my opinion. And uh, it's a bit of a threat to the medical community. Now, you do have to get a good quality colloidal silver. There are better ones out there and not so good ones out there. And um, I won't go into great deal, detail on that, but I'm happy to answer questions about it if you want. But I've seen some really interesting things over the years. One thing I've noticed um, over and over and over again, sinus infections. Let me give you a statistic that is really, really interesting. 85% of sinus infections in America are not bacterial. Guess how many sinus infections are actually treated with an antibiotic? It happens to be 85%. 85% of sinus infections are treated with antibiotics 
And 85% of those sinus infections can't be treated with antibiotics successfully. But you know what's interesting about sinus infections? On average, they last for about seven to 10 days before your own body and its immune system mop it up and get rid of it. So then if you've got a sinus infection and your head's pounding and you run into your doc and you say, give me an antibiotic and he gives you amoxicillin or whatever it is, by the time you're done with your amoxicillin, you're probably also done with your sinus infection. So that's an interesting thing because it seems logical for the patient to say, well, the antibiotic kicked the sinus infection, but that's not what happened at all in most cases. In most cases, your body kicked the sinus infection and your antibiotic just kicked your body's butt to make it much less easy for you to avoid the next sinus infection. And so then we end up in this vicious cycle of infections. And it's not just sinus infections, it's urinary tract infections, it's ear infections, it's strep throat, it's chronic bronchitis. There's all kinds of different ones. And it doesn't really matter what the chronic infection is. If you're getting the same type of infection over and over again, then absolutely your microbiome is in trouble and needs support and needs to be um, boosted up for sure. So for sinus infections, colloidal silver sprayed into the sinus cavity itself, right up the nostrils, is honestly the best thing I think that I've ever seen. There's nothing like it for sinus infections. This is what we know about colloidal silver. If you have a Petri dish and you put a, a, you know, a bacterial invader in there and you put colloidal silver in that dish where it can actually make physical contact with the bacteria, it doesn't matter what it is. It kills MRSA, it kills C. diff, it kills things that antibiotics have a really, really difficult time killing if they can kill them at all, if it can be in contact. So if you have a sinus infection and all of the stuff that's infecting you is up here, spraying the silver right into that kind of like Petri dish, right? Where you can make direct contact is incredibly effective. Ear infections with an ear drop, eye infections like pink eye, uh, with an eye drop, these are all things people use colloidal silver with with great success. And it is awesome for a variety of reasons. One is very, very safe. Good colloidal silver will leave the body within 24 hours. So you don't have to worry about becoming toxic or turning blue or anything like that. And on top of being very, very safe, it's super easy to administer. It's not particularly expensive to use, especially if you're using it like that. When you spray it up your nostrils or put it in your ears, you're talking about drops, a bottle will last you the rest of your life. It's also, it is something you can throw in your medicine cabinet. And if you don't need it for a few years, basically self-sustaining too, because nothing can get in there that the silver can't wipe out anyway. And so even if the expiration date is there, you're probably uh, safe to use the product without any problems. So I love colloidal silver for all of those types of uses. Um, garlic oil is another one that's really great for like ear infections um, and, and uh, skin infections, anywhere where you can put the silver where the infection is. But you can also chase things systemically with uh, colloidal silver and, uh, and work on things like colds and flus and things like that. My, myself, personally, uh, the two first things I reach for, well, probably three first things, I guess, are lots of extra vitamin C, um, elderberry or some sort of elderberry tonic, which I will say this and Haley, close your ears because I want you to get a big head. But um, her elderberry tonic is so flipping good. If you guys haven't tried it yet from Roots and Leaves, it is legit. I think it's the best one out there. So love that product. And that's coming from someone who's used about 
40 different elderberry products. So, so I've, I've, uh, I've used a lot of them and, and a lot of them are really good. It's not like she's the one, only one that has a good one, but hers is phenomenal. No, uh, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that has a good one. <laughs> you're the only one that has the best one. Yeah. And that's what I, <laughs> I do want to hop in really quick and say something else about colloidal silver, something that I've personally used it for with really great success. Um, in the height of the pandemic, when we were all being forced to wear masks, mm -hmm. I was at a trade show and was having to wear a mask while talking to people all day. And um, I had a little bit of a cough, but it ended up turning into pneumonia. And I'm pretty sure it was because I was wearing the mask. And um, I successfully used colloidal silver in a nebulizer to treat my pneumonia. So I had bacterial pneumonia and used a nebulizer with colloidal silver and it worked super great. So I just wanted to add that in there as another uh, treatment option. Yeah, absolutely. Lots and lots of ways to use it. It's also fantastic as like a wound gel. There's just so many different uses for sure. So thanks for jumping in on that. Um, another one I'll mention, um, I, I think we have a, a pretty heavily female audience here, uh, if not all female. Um, so let's talk a little bit about urinary tract infections, another one that is a real problem for people uh, that end up oftentimes on that cycle of antibiotic after antibiotic after antibiotic. Um, if you're not aware of the product D-Manos, uh, D-Manos is phenomenal stuff. It's actually a sugar. It's interesting because it's a sugar that doesn't impact blood sugar very much at all. It's very low glycemic. But it, uh, what it does is it makes the urinary tract slippery. And uh, so it doesn't actually kill bacteria in the urinary tract. It just allows it or prevents it from being able to hang on and it slides out with the urine. So D-Manos is, I won't go into great detail on how to use it, although I've got a few episodes of the podcast that talk about that. If you, if you have any struggles in that area, that's another one that's an easy fix for most urinary tract infections uh, that doesn't do any harm to the good guys. So there, those are some preventative things that you can do. Um, another thing, let's talk about more lifestyle things. I will say this, get more crunchy um, when, with your lifestyle, eat organic. Um, we do know, and, and a lot of people don't actually recognize this. I think most people in this group for sure know that glyphosate or Roundup is dangerous stuff. We know that it's carcinogenic. There's all kinds of things that it causes issues with. However, uh, what a lot of people don't know is that it actually is a human antibiotic. It is um, a wrecking ball for the gut as well. So if you're like me and haven't done much with antibiotics in your life, you probably still have not even recognizing that you've been doing it because our food supply is so tainted with things that are human antibiotics. About 70% of the antibiotics uh, developed in America are fed to animals that are then fed to us. And then again, glyphosate, which is heavily, heavily sprayed on genetically modified and non-organic crops is a real uh, wicked tool to uh, beat down your microbiome. So avoiding those things. And then let's talk about like, let's get real crunchy here. You've heard of the term tree hugger, right? That's kind of an old school term. I'm going to tell you that right now, one of the best ways to build your microbiome is to hug trees. Like go out in the wilderness and be in the dirt and um, and put your arms around a tree and put your hands in the dirt and do what you've seen your kids or grandkids do when they're first little toddlers and everything they find, they put in their mouth. And the 10 second rule, 
that doesn't apply in my opinion. Just if it fell, falls on the floor, whatever's on there is probably good for you anyway. So be okay with being dirty. We don't need things like Clorox wipes and Purell constantly being used because these are things that are wrecking the environmental microbiome and in wrecking the environmental microbiome, they really uh, create struggles for us as well. Antibacterial soaps, things like that. So be really cautious about what you're doing that is antibacterial. If you're using Neosporin, um, think twice. There's a lot of much, much, much better options. Haley has one. Colloidal silver gel is one that you can use. Neosporin has three different antibiotics in it. And remember, depending on what it is, maybe 30 or 40% of that stuff that you rub on your skin ends up in your blood. So that is a topical antibiotic that is actually becoming an internal antibiotic as well. And we know if, if you haven't heard what they've learned about Neosporin, Jump into Vitality Radio and I'll tell you, I've got an episode, <laughs> I've got an episode on it because it's kind of scary stuff. We don't want that stuff. So yeah, spend time outdoors. When uh, Dr. Fallacy, I mean Fauci, um, said that uh, we were to social distance and wear masks and do all these things and put plexiglass in between us and all this other crap that they recommended during the, the pandemic, we have to recognize that all of that probably made all of us weaker and more susceptible, not healthier and more um, uh, and, and better defended. Uh, that was a big, big mistake. Hug your neighbor. If somebody sneezes on you, thank them for sharing their microbiome with you. It's okay. I know some of that sounds a little extreme, but I'm telling you, it's real. We were meant to breathe together and breathe in the same germs because germs aren't necessarily evil. In fact, the vast majority of them are not. So shake hands, kiss, hug, do all the things. It's all good. Um, okay. So let's talk about how to build it back up if it got wiped out. Okay. If you're struggling with your mental health, if you're struggling with your gut health, if you're struggling with uh, your weight, if you're struggling with any number of things that could potentially be uh, probiotic related or microbiome related, immunity, if you're one who gets all the things that come around, uh, has a hard time getting over the things when they do come around, you know, that kind of thing, then all of those are indicators that your gut probably needs a little support. Um, on Vitality Radio, if you ever uh, decide to tune in, you'll hear me talk about the Vital Five a lot. Um, this is just a list of five supplements that I believe most Americans would benefit from taking on a daily basis. Um, a, a good multivitamin. Most multivitamins don't qualify as good, but a good multivitamin. Omega-3s, uh, magnesium, digestive enzymes, and of course, probiotics. So whenever I talk about probiotics, it's, I really do believe it's one of the core things that can improve our health. So probiotics, though, might be one of the most confusing things for consumers. I think where I kind of stand in terms of my uh, niche in the marketplace where it comes to education on this stuff is that I'm a supplement guy. I've sold supplements my whole life. I know supplements very, very well. I know all the different brands and all that kind of stuff. And as consumers, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but as consumers, what I hear over and over and over again is it's just confusing and overwhelming. How do I tell which probiotic is best? How do I tell which strains I need? How do I tell how much I should take? Is it 50 billion units a day or 100 billion or 5 billion? Uh, is this brand better than that brand? And so on and so forth. And so one of the things I try to do is as much as possible, simplify some of that stuff. So 
probiotics might be as confusing a topic as there is in the marketplace. It's easier to kind of figure out if you've got a, I don't know, let's say a whole food vitamin C as opposed to a synthetic vitamin C. Uh, that's kind of easy to figure out if you get a little bit of education on it. But how do you know if lactobacillus acidophilus is better than uh, lactobacillus rhamnosus for what you're dealing with, for instance? How do you even know what the heck lactobacillus is, right? I mean, this is where it can get really confusing. How do you know if something should be in the refrigerator or not in the refrigerator? And if one brand is lying when they say that their probiotic is shelf stable and another brand is telling the truth when they say, no, you have to keep ours in the fridge or whatever it is. There's all these different questions that people have. Well, on one level, it's actually fairly easy to uh, narrow that down and, and, and make that an, uh, an easier, uh, well, we'll say pill to swallow in terms of trying to understand this stuff. Human strain probiotics are the type of probiotics that are native to our gut. They're what's in there now that we got hopefully from mom or if not from our environment later. And those guys belong there. As such, they're very accustomed to a very specific environment. It's very regulated as far as acid. It's very regulated as far as temperature. It's very regulated as, as far as moisture. It's very regulated as far as, um, as uh, oh, I missed one other topic. Um, oh, the acid level, sorry. Uh, the acid alkaline balance in the gut. So when you pull a human strain out of the gut, and you try to preserve it in a capsule or a liquid, then you are, you, there, is, there are a lot of threats that are currently present to that uh, probiotic. Um, heat, acid, and all these types of things become threatening and potentially can kill it. So if you've got human strain probiotics that are on the shelf, I'll teach you a little trick you may already know, but if it's on the shelf and it says shelf stable, and these are human probiotics, they are not actually shelf stable, the vast majority of them. What manufacturers do is they put two or three or sometimes as much as four times as much in the capsule as the label says is in the capsule, knowing that slowly but surely those strains are going to be dying a little bit at a time. So then the goal is to make sure that by the expiration date on the bottle, that those probiotics are still what it said they were on the bottle. So if they're claiming 20 billion units, they might put 60 billion in there, knowing that by the expiration date, there will still be 20 billion left. Is that a problem? Not really. As long as they're doing a good job of, of figuring that out, then you're still getting 20 billion. Or if you're buying it really fresh, you might be getting the 60 billion that they originally put in there. But it is important to understand that there isn't really such a thing as a truly shelf-stable human probiotic, with the exception of a few strains. So when people tell you, and I'm sure if you're in the Crunchy Club, you've probably, you're probably subscribed to 19 different Instagram accounts talking about health and all this kind of stuff, or 90. Uh, and you've probably heard people say, no, all probiotics need to be refrigerated. And to be truly stable, that is also true. But I'll let you in on this one, too. Those probiotics aren't shipped refrigerated. Um, they're shipped on a UPS truck, just like every other vitamin or mineral that we get. And uh, if that's happening in July, you might have a little bit lower potency than you would if it happens in December. And so we have to recognize that there are some limitations to human probiotics just based on that. But also, we've all heard of the stomach, but have you heard of the stomach referred to as the acid barrier? The acid barrier that is the stomach is by design, not just designed to digest our food for us or help us digest our food, but also to protect us from all of these things 
that could potentially get through the stomach into the intestinal tract and make us sick. Things like uh, E. coli or something like that, right? So as such, the acid barrier also would, it's, it's indiscriminate. It's going to wipe out human probiotics that try to get in there as well. So then we have things like enteric coated capsules and things like that that can help to prevent the stomach acid from attacking them. But the biggest thing that they've discovered with human strain probiotics over the last 15 years is that the majority of them, even if they're an enteric coated capsule or a, a, a double um, a double coated capsule that opens up twice or any of these types of things, all of which make it more resilient. All of those things are pluses, but the, the bulk of the probiotics still don't survive all the way down to the colon where they can colonize. But there's a second part of that pro of, of, of that issue. And that is that those probiotics that do colonize are only representing a very small percentage of the total group uh, of diverse probiotics that are supposed to be there. So let's just say you take a 60 strain probiotic, which is the biggest one I've seen on the market so far, it has 60 different strains of bacteria. Well, if you have over a thousand strains of bacteria, then you're still short by about 940 strains of being able to actually build that up. And what they've even found that's really crazy is that long-term use of, a, of uh, certain probiotics can actually create more of what they call a monoculture, where you have a whole bunch of these strains and hardly any of these strains and that can actually uh, cause additional symptoms or different symptoms than you already had. So my answer to that, and I believe it is the best answer that we have right now, is non-human strain probiotics, what are called commensal strains. And commensal just means that, um, in fact, Webster's Dictionary, I'll read it right out of their, out of their uh, dictionary, a relation between two kinds of organisms in which one obtains food or other benefits from the other without damaging or benefiting it. So spore forming probiotics are commensal probiotics and commensal probiotics are basically doing us a really big favor while they're in our gut and we're not doing anything for them, but we're not doing anything to hurt them. They're just part of our environment. They're part of the reason that I would say get in the dirt uh, because we're gonna get them from those places as well. When we get these spores into our system, they are highly resilient because these are environmental bacteria. They live in dirt. Uh, they live in heat. They live in cold. They live in high acid. They live in low acid. They live all over the place and they're incredibly resilient. In fact, they, you can literally cook them at up to 450 degrees before they'll start to die. Um, and so incredibly stable. Acid doesn't impact them. They live all the way down to the uh, to the colon, and they do not colonize. They don't belong in our gut. Technically, as far as residents, they're what are called transient strains. Transient strains are really, really great because what they do is they go in and they kind of remodel things and then they leave. And so you never get a monoculture because you're never building up more and more and more of the same strain. They're basically creating two shifts in the environment. The first shift is they literally release naturally occurring um, antibiotics that are uh, antipathogenic, but that are very, very safe for the good guys that we have in our gut. So they don't wipe out our good guys, but they do help to wipe out stuff we don't want down there. They also happen to create an, an environment that is very conducive to the growth uh, of the good bacteria that is 
in the gut. They create a lot of lactic acid. Lactic acid is what our lactic flora, our good human strain probiotic feed on. So while they aren't technically a prebiotic, they behave like a prebiotic in that way. And so they help us to grow the good guys evenly across the board. And what's really wild about the spore forming probiotics is we don't need 50 billion units or 100 billion units or 10 billion units. We need a very small amount, actually. The best clinical studies on spore-forming probiotics are done somewhere between half a billion and three billion units per day. They're extremely effective at very low doses. And the biggest reason for that is because they sur survive all the way down. Human strain probiotics, part of the reason that they put them in 100 billion units in a capsule is they're hoping that a certain percentage of that will get all the way down to the colon. One more thing I'll answer uh, that might be a question for some of you that I sometimes skip over, but I think it's important. If you're taking a probiotic that is a lactobacillus or a bifido probiotic, so if you look at the back of your label and it says lactobacillus acidophilus or remnosis or things like that, or sometimes it'll just say L dot and then the species or B dot and then the species, the B would stand for bifido, uh, the L would stand for lacto. Those are human strain probiotics, and they are not worthless at all. There are real benefits to those probiotics. So I don't want to throw them under the bus and say, this stuff sucks, don't use it. Um, the benefits are uh, very, very interesting. One, while they don't often survive all the way down to the colon to colonize, when they are wiped out by the stomach acid or by heat or whatever else, that becomes what's called a lysed bacteria. If you've seen The Princess Bride and you remember how what it's like to be mostly dead, that's kind of how these probiotics are. They're still active at the DNA level, believe it or not. Their micro DNA is communicating with the DNA in our digestive tract saying, giving it marching orders and saying, hey, we need some support here. Let's get some good stuff going. So if you've got chronic diarrhea, you want a human strain probiotic that's loaded with bifido strains because that will give you the quickest symptom relief you can get. But if you get chronic diarrhea, and I mean, if, if it's an acute thing, then that may be all that you need. But if it's chronic and it's, you know, IBS type stuff where you're up and down all the time in terms of how your gut feels, human strain probiotics can provide a tremendous amount of relief, uh, but they don't often provide a real solution in terms of actually rebuilding and strengthening the microbiome. And so now I think I'm pretty much running out of time. So I'm just going to give you a couple more things to think about when you're talking about spore forming probiotics. Uh, my favorite, and it's, it's my favorite, I guess, because it's my first, it's the first one I discovered and started using in one of my supplements is called Bacillus coagulans. And Bacillus coagulans is popping up in a lot of supplements. In fact, I'm even seeing a lot of human strain probiotics that are throwing Bacillus coagulans in the mix. And I think it's a great idea because then you, you know that at least one of those strains is going to be super resilient and, and do some work. Um, in clinical studies, specifically on mental health, like I was talking about at the beginning, they did a major study um, on uh, major depressive disorder, uh, basically the type of depression that would require medication if you're talking to a doctor. But not just people with depression, but people with depression and IBS, like I talked about before. And what they showed is that both symptoms, both the IBS symptoms and the depression dramatically improved and started to see significant improvement within the first two weeks of use at just 1 billion units a day.
It's a really, really small dose. Uh, furthermore, authors also observed uh, that the actual inflammatory biomarkers uh, inside the body that are relevant to depression and IBS were dramatically reduced. And that also started happening within the first couple of weeks. Um, bacillus coagulans has also been shown to increase your immune defense against influenza A. Now, it wasn't studied on COVID or a variety of other uh, viral infections, but certainly on influenza A. And it showed that after just 30 days, it increased your TNF alpha, which is one of your first um, natural immune responses to viral infections by 17 times in just 30 days. That beats the heck out of the flu shot. Uh, really, really impressive. Uh, they've also shown on people with just IBS without major depressive disorder within two weeks, as much as 85% relief in symptoms at um, less than 1 billion units per day. Uh, the, my other favorite superstar is called Bacillus subtilis. I don't go into as much detail there, but just listen to some of the things that have been clinically proven in humans with Bacillus subtilis. Reduce excessive belching, reduce gas and bloating. Maintain remission of symptoms in inflammatory bowel disease, things like Crohn's disease. Improve gut bacteria balance and relieve symptoms of SIBO. Uh, help fight infections, including C. diff and H. pylori. Uh, prevent relapse and acid reflux symptoms. Relieve generalized abdominal pain. Help prepare, prepare for a colonoscopy and decrease the side effects of colonoscopy. Uh, produce gut healthy postbiotics to prevent cramping. Uh, reduce abdominal pain nausea and urgency and all types of diarrhea are improved by bacillus subtilis. Uh, there's another one called bacillus clausi that I absolutely love, but again, I'm kind of running low on time, so I don't want to uh, drone on too much. The other superstar I will mention really quickly that is not a spore and is also not a human strain. It is lumped in with probiotics in terms of marketing, but it's actually a yeast and it's called Saccharomyces boulardii. Saccharomyces boulardii is also just phenomenal stuff. They've shown that it may be the best uh, thing that you can use to fight uh, C. diff. Uh, it works for, again, multiple different types of diarrhea, acne, urinary tract infections, yeast infections, high cholesterol, Lyme disease. They've got studies showing that it helps with that. Hives, fever blisters, canker sores, lactose intolerance, cystic fibrosis, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, irritable bowel syndrome, and even parasites can be supported by uh, Saccharomyces boulardii. So in the last 12 years or so, I've spent more time studying probiotics than any other thing. When I first discovered spores 12 years ago, it blew my mind and I have never been able to leave the subject since. It's just so fascinating. I hope this was fascinating for you that you learned some new things. I developed a formula called Precision Probiotic that contains those four strains that I talked about um, for the purposes of helping people truly restore and boost their gut uh, in a way that is going to be the most efficient way possible. And it's been on the market for two years after many years of study with just phenomenal uh, results. So that's uh, it other than questions and answers. Thank you so much for uh, indulging me to talk about my favorite subject here on the Crunchy Club. Uh, Jared, it was awesome. I even learned some new stuff, which I thought I knew most everything about the gut. I did not know that the spores, that you could cook them up to 450 degrees before they start to die. That's Isn't amazing. That wild? That's wild. Yeah, um, you, I tell people you can store them in your oven uh, if you want. There's no shelf in your house where they're not stable. 
That's really cool. Um, we have a couple of questions, but before I get to their questions, um, I had recommended in the Crunchy Club before I came across your probiotic, a couple of other spore-based probiotics. Mm -hmm. um, and now I've just dropped the link into the chat, you guys, for his probiotic that has everything that he mentioned. Um, and you get 10% off using the code in the chat. Um, so thank you so much for that discount, Jared, for the Crunchy Club community. So Sarah is asking age limit on use. And she said, thanks for the discount. So how does this work for kids? That was one of my questions too. Um, excuse me. So do you just open them up, put them in applesauce? Like what, what would you do for kids? That's exactly what I recommend. Now I um, will get a little ahead of myself, but I am actually working on one specifically for kids that's in a powder form. Uh, that'll be a very, very similar formula. But uh, this one is very, very easily used on children. The technically, according to FDA, um, an adult in America is considered about 150 pounds when it comes to dosage, dosages of anything, probiotics, pharmaceuticals, vitamins, minerals, and so on. So when you look at a capsule uh, like Precision Probiotic, and it says one capsule a day for adults, then you can assume that that's the 150 pound dose, okay? So then if you've got a child who's 50 pounds, you open the capsule and you give him a third of the capsule and you're giving him the appropriate dose for, for that uh, or that weight. Uh, if you've got someone who's very small, you've got a you know 15 pound child, then you can literally go down all the way to about 10% of the capsule. Now there's two things that are really important when it comes to dosing uh, kids and adults really. Uh, one is that you can, it's, you're not going to hurt them by giving them too much, right? So you open up the capsule and half of it dumps in the applesauce and you're like, oh, I only wanted to give them 20%. Not that big of a deal. Feed them the applesauce. It's more of an economic thing. You're using more product than maybe you have to, to deliver the result that you're doing, but you're not going to hurt them. If there is a side effect with probiotics, um, it's almost always a short term upset of the gut because you're moving a little fast. There's enough dysbiosis in the gut uh, imbalance that when you dump something that is as active and potent as a spore probiotic in there, sometimes you can feel worse before you feel better. And the same thing could happen to your child, cramping, bloating, things like that. Not harmful, but not comfortable. Uh, so what you'd want to do then is just reduce the dose. And if you're an adult that takes a capsule and one capsule is too much, you don't feel so hot when you take it because it shouldn't make you feel bad in any way unless you're overdoing it, then open the capsule yourself and use half a capsule or a third of the capsule or whatever, and slowly work your way up until you can get to the full capsule. Most times within a couple of weeks, you can get there and then you can maintain it just one capsule a day. It doesn't taste like much. There's a little bit of flavor, but you can mix it in pretty much anything and kids will take it. Perfect. Awesome. Does anybody else have any other questions for Jared? You can throw them in the chat if you don't want to on the camera or you're welcome to unmute yourself, whatever you would like to do, but I'll give you guys a minute or two to get any questions in that you have. But this was just such amazing information. I know that my daughter is six and a half and she has also never been on an antibiotic and we have always treated everything very naturally. She's never had an ear infection. Um, she has literally never had the stomach bug. So from the very beginning, now I will say whenever I was pregnant and I'm just giving people time to 
throw their questions in. Um, whenever I was pregnant, I, I didn't know as much as I knew now about the microbiome. So I wouldn't say that I was the healthiest. And I definitely was raised on the pink bubblegum antibiotic every time I got the sniffles at my house. My mom didn't know better. She sent me to the doctor and he gave me that all the time. And then whenever I was um, in my early 20s, I had chronic sinus infections and I was constantly on antibiotics. So I haven't been on antibiotics now in probably 10 years. But um, she, I, when she was born, she had colic and she had acid reflux. And of course, the doctors wanted to give her like PPIs and stuff. And I'm like, seriously, she's three months old. Um, so I started giving her raw fermented sauerkraut juice and a little syringe and just giving a little bit of that to her every time she had some, some breast milk in a, in a syringe. And within two weeks, her colic was gone and her acid reflux was healed. And so it's, it's amazing. Okay. So we've got some questions. So stay that concludes today's episode in the Crunchy Club podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you would like to learn further from me, you can catch me over on Instagram at thecrunchy.club as well as Roots and Leaves Info. You can sign up for my email newsletters on both of my websites to get holistic remedies and natural product information dropped straight to your inbox. You are also always welcome to join the Crunchy Club membership where we deep dive with our guest speakers and I personally teach you how I healed from all of my debilitating ailments. That's it for now, friends. And remember, your body has the power to heal and you are your own best doctor.